It was the summer between my 10th and 11th grade in high school at a summer church camp that I felt God calling me really for the first time and pretty definitively into vocational ministry. And I had grown up in a Christian home and uh, so that was not totally surprising. Um, my mom was extremely musical and I, from a very early age, had kind of gravitated toward music and loved you know, learning to play new instruments and just loved that whole, and became very passionate about music. So when I sensed God calling me into, into a vocational ministry, I just kind of made the logical assumption, well, that must mean it has to do with music and, and leading worship. It just kind of made sense. So I spent the next five or six years kind of preparing and planning that that was where God had called me. I even graduated from college with a degree in music. Graduated from college, right out of college, I took my first real job, uh, and it was uh, serving in a small church as the minister of music, youth, and senior adults. Quite the combination. And they always they threw a few other things in there too. I told you it was a small church. But it was at that church that two amazing things happened. First of all, that's where I met my wife, fell in love, and got married. Amen. Almost 36 years now. Oh. But also, it was at that church, and I was only there a couple of years, that God began to change that call, began to redirect that call away from what I had thought was going to be heading toward some kind of worship music ministry into discipleship ministry. Now, here's the neat thing about this, that while the trajectory of that call changed a lot about where I ended up, the core of the call really never changed. The core of the call was to gospel ministry, right? That's what God calls us to do. In fact, I would submit to you that if you're here today as a born-again believer in Christ, that you have that same call to gospel ministry. Ministry. That's why I entitled the message this morning, Gospel Ministry. And what we're going to look at in our passage today in just a little while is we're going to see how Paul, in some ways, just in his response, and really he is responding, we'll see that in just a minute if we look at some context, how he, how he is responding and demonstrates to us what gospel ministry for every believer looks like. So open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And before we read the text, just a little contextual work here first. What we're going to read flows right out of what we've just been looking at in chapter 3. And that's, you know, it's a, too bad the chapter breaks there, but it, it all is connected. And what we're going to actually, we're going to look back at chapter 3 quite a bit. So as you have your Bible open, be prepared to jump back to look at a few verses there in chapter 3. Now, the part we're looking at, this chapter 3 and 4, really 5 and 6, and also there's another section, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Those chapters make up a, a, a subsection of 2 Corinthians where we see Paul at times working pretty hard to defend his apostleship, to defend his character, to defend his theology, to defend his doctrine. And we saw this over the last couple of weeks, that there was a group of people that had shown up there at the church in Corinth. Since Paul had started and planted that church and he had left, they were not so kind to our brother Paul. They were most likely what we would call Judaizers, uh, people that still believe that the Mosaic law was in full force and full effect. And so they came in after Paul left and began to be critical of this guy, Paul, and his teaching, showing that there must be error in Paul's theology. There must be a problem with his character. And so Paul spends a great deal of 2 Corinthians dealing with these accusations that he, ha he is aware of. And that's why I think 
the, the whole tone of 2 Corinthians. There's this deeper emotional tone to it than in the letter of 1 Corinthians. We can see that difference. But as we pick up on our passage, again, Paul is continuing his thoughts on being a servant of the new covenant or a minister of the new covenant. And, and here we're going to get a clear picture of what does it look like to be a servant or a minister of this new covenant. Last week, uh, Pastor Russell broke down the contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. We even had the chart on our outline. And so we got a good picture of what the difference is between the old and the new. And that's just where Paul picks up now in giving us this picture of what a gospel ministry and a gospel message look like under the new covenant. And that's really our outline. It's pretty simple. His ministry and his message. Paul's ministry and Paul's message. Let's look at Roman number one, the ministry. And we'll read the first four verses there in chapter four. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So right off the bat, in verse 1, Paul says, having this ministry. What's he referring to? Well, he's referring back to chapter 3 in verse 6, when he says, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. He has this ministry, this ministry of the new covenant. But right off the bat, he's going to define and delineate the source of that ministry. Letter A is the source. And he's going to be very quick to give the credit on the source of this ministry to God. Look what he says, that we have this ministry by the mercy of God. The mercy of God. It is a gift from God that Paul has this ministry. Did Paul go seeking after this ministry? No. Did Paul even go seeking after salvation for that matter? No. What happened to Paul? He's on the road to Damascus persecuting Christians. And what happens? God shows up in a pretty significant, magnificent way with a blinding light. And Paul's life, the whole trajectory of his life has changed. And so he realized that he was not seeking after this ministry. It wasn't something he was desiring. In fact, he realized, if anything, he didn't deserve to have this ministry. He didn't even deserve his salvation. Remember, Paul was the leading religious activist that was after that group of people called the way, those early Christians. And he was doing everything he could to shut that up, to silence it, to put them out of the way. And so Paul would say, yeah, I had, I had no right whatsoever for salvation. I had no right whatsoever for this ministry. But that's what I love what he said. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, so he acknowledges the source of his ministry. And I would encourage all of us, as I said at the beginning, to realize, I believe that as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, that we too have a ministry that we don't deserve. We too have a salvation that we of no way deserve. And it's because of that source that we can say, okay, this ministry that God has given me, this, this, this option, these options to serve him with a gospel ministry, I don't deserve. And I think that kind of kept Paul 
in this sense of wonder. I don't deserve this. And it's a good place for all of us because I know I have seen in some cases people get so caught up in their ministry that it becomes their identity. It becomes where they get their value. It becomes where they get their worth. And Paul's like, no, (laughs) no, I, I don't deserve this. It's a gift from God. It's by God's mercy that I have this gospel ministry. Letter B, we see his practice, the practice. As I said earlier, Paul is addressing several different things that had been accused against him, accusations against him. And I can't say for sure this first one, but perhaps one of the accusations that they made against Paul was that he had given up on the church at Corinth. I can just see this group of of Judaizers that are there that have that have called themselves teachers, even in chapter 11, Paul, they apparently took on the name as apostles. And there they are, the church at Corinth, and they're teaching what they're teaching. And maybe some people are challenging them. That's not what Paul said. And, and they said, well, well, where is this Paul? He's not even here. He must have given up on this church. You guys are too much trouble, but we're here. And Paul, in the end of verse one, in those simple words says, we do not lose heart. Paul had not lost heart. Paul had not given up on the church. If anything, he had a right to give up on the church at Corinth, but he had not given up on the church. He continued to persevere. And I would say that's one of the the key practices of gospel ministry is perseverance, that he did not lose heart, that he continued to send letters. He continued to make visits to there in the church at Corinth. He did not lose heart. And maybe you're here this morning and, 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 and you're serving in some type of ministry for the gospel. And you're discouraged. And maybe you feel like you're about ready to kind of hang it up and say, well, maybe it's someone else's turn. turn. I've done done my work. Man, I would would encourage you to be reminded of of Paul's words here. Do not lose heart. Because ministry is is hard. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the why it's so hard. But ministry, gospel ministry, is hard. Don't lose heart. Persevere. But then in verse 2, Paul really gets very specific on what I'm sure he had received several accusations against him, that he was dishonest, that he was deceptive, and that he distorted the truth of God's word. Now think about it. If someone came up and told you that, or you heard that someone was going around saying that you were dishonest, that you distorted the truth, that you were deceptive in how you dealt with people, what you said, it hurt. And of course, I think Paul, you know, we we say, well, Paul probably got used to, you know, being, being accused of different things. I don't know if you ever get used to people saying you're dishonest and deceptive and distort the truth. But Paul responds, and he does it in a pretty positive way, I think. I don't know if I could have had this this way, but he's basically talking about here, not only did he persevere, but he had integrity in his ministry. He was faithful to God in his word. And look what he says, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. That's the dishonesty or the deception. He said, we've renounced them. we, We are so separate from those kind of practices in our ministry. We, we renounce those kind of things. And then he goes on, he says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. This had to hurt Paul perhaps the most, that they would have said that he tampered with the word of God, that he distorted the word of God. The implication there is that he added something to the word of God or he took something away. And Paul real clearly says in that last part of verse two, by the open statement of the what? The truth, the truth that Paul was committed to God's word and the truth of God's word, that he would say, no, there is no dishonesty, there is no deception, there is no distortion, that I am faithful to the word of God. 
and the truth. You've heard me preach. You've heard me teach. It's kind of ironic that the people that Paul referred to back in chapter two as peddlers of the word are the ones that are accusing Paul of distorting and tampering with the word of God. Unfortunately, in our culture and our world today, there are many, many, many teachers, preachers that claim to be teachers and preachers of the word of God that do exactly that, that distort the word of God, that tamper with the word of God, that add to the word of God or take away from the word of God. We must always have discerning ears and discerning hearts as we listen to those who teach the word of God, including every time you show up here at McGregor Baptist Church. We must be discerning. So Paul's practice was that he persevered in ministry and he was faithful to the word of God. He had a life of integrity. Letter three, I mean, letter three, letter C, the challenge. I'm getting all ahead of myself here. Letter C, the challenge. Uh, and here we see why gospel ministry is difficult because there is a very specific challenge. And that's what he's lining out here in verses three and four. And that challenge is, we see in verse three, the gospel is veiled. The gospel is veiled. And this was a challenge Paul faced. And it's a challenge that we as followers of Christ today face on a continual basis that the gospel is veiled. But who is the gospel veiled from? Who is the gospel veiled from? He goes on and says, it is veiled to those who are perishing to those who are perishing, those who are outside of Christ, those who are lost. Uh, that's who the gospel is veiled. And perhaps Paul, even here, is dealing with one of the accusations that he had received. Perhaps those, those Judaizers there in Corinth had said, hey, Paul, you, you're out there preaching this gospel, but man, it's a, it's a gospel that's veiled. We don't get it. It's a gospel that's veiled. And Paul's like, okay, I'll concede this one. Yeah, it, it, is, it is veiled, but it's only veiled to those who are perishing, those that are lost. It's almost a little kind of a side dig there to these accusers. But why would Paul not only respond and those that have accused him, but why would, he, why would he use that phrase, the gospel is veiled? And what is veiling the gospel specifically? Was it the fact that Paul was, was too intellectual or too simple? Was he too boring? Was he too charismatic in his teaching? It had nothing to do with the style of the communicator. It had to do with the heart of Paul's message. It had to do with the heart of the gospel message. That's why the, 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 the gospel was veiled to those there that were those Judaizers in Corinth. And the specifics that the gospel was veiled because the gospel was a scandal to those that were from Jewish heritage. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 23. It'll be on the, on the screen. And this is what Paul said earlier in his first letter. But we preach Christ crucified. That's, that's at the heart of the gospel, right? That Christ crucified. And look what he says. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. You see, the message of Christ's sacrifice, his death on the cross, that God would use that to reconcile sinners to himself, just blew their mind. They couldn't get their minds wrapped around that thought. And so they said, what you're teaching, what you're preaching, Paul, the gospel is veiled. And he's like, yeah, it is veiled to those that don't get that. Those that are perishing. He goes on and he gives another influence in, in verse four, but he, and we'll get to that in a second, but he refers to them specifically as unbelievers, those outside of Jesus Christ. Look at verse four, because here we get another influence of the failure to believe. Not only are, the, are their hearts veiled, but he says here, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. 
the God of this world. Who is the God of this world? Satan. Satan is the God of this world, and he's actively working to conceal the truth of the gospel from unbelievers by blinding their minds. It has been his target forever to target the minds of mankind. He goes after the minds because if he can blind the mind, he can conceal the gospel. In other words, he is veiling the gospel by blinding the minds. And not only does he go after the unbeliever, but I really believe he targets the mind of the believer often as well. And we know that because we feel that influence oftentimes when our own mind and thoughts are heading more toward evil than they are toward God himself. Imagine the, the, the battleground, that spiritual battleground that's going on. But here's the good news. Satan has been defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, and he's, he's, he's talking about what Christ has accomplished on the cross by nailing our sins to the cross. And then he says this in verse 15 of chapter 2 of Colossians. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's Satan. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Satan has been stripped of his power to accuse the believer. Satan has been stripped of his power to hold the believer in slavery to the fear of death. However... In this present age we live in, Satan still has enough strength to target your mind and the mind of every single person, especially the lost, to keep them from thinking and moving toward God and focusing on evil instead. That's why we call Satan, or no, why scripture calls Satan the father of what? Lies. This is why gospel ministry is hard, my friend. If you are going to take seriously what I believe is a command for every follower of Christ to engage in gospel ministry, it's difficult. It's not easy. That's why I believe Paul said, we do not lose heart as a word of encouragement for all of us to be reminded to persevere. Now, let's look at some application for us in our ministry. We've looked at Paul's ministry. Let's look at our ministry. The very first thing on here, we are all part of the gospel ministry from God. We are all part of the gospel ministry from God. Paul uses the analogy earlier that the body of Christ is like the human body. Christ is the head, but we make up all these different parts in the human body. It's a great analogy because we see how important every single person in the body of Christ really is. We need all these parts, right, to work. But going back even a little bit further than Paul, we see Jesus right before his ascension, after his death, burial, and resurrection, and he gives us what we refer to as the great commission in Matthew chapter 28. And I want to look at that. Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. Jesus tells us this, and this is in he's speaking to, to all his disciples, including us today. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The heart of this commandment, the heart of this what we refer to as the Great Commission, is to go make disciples. If you want to boil it down to two words, make disciples. And what does that mean? For us today, that means to shine the light of the, of the gospel into a very dark world. I love our, our church's purpose statement. And one of the measures, and we're going to look at this in a minute, is that we are to live missionally. And to live missionally means to shine that light into a dark world. But it starts by saying this, by God's grace, we desire to glorify God by magnifying his word to develop disciples. That's making disciples who think biblically, live missionally, give generously, and love sacrificially. 
That idea that we're called to live missionally. That's, that should be a mark of every disciple of Christ, that we are living missionally. And let's be honest, and I'm being honest too, I fall short. I fall short. How bright is my gospel light that I'm shining where I am 24-7? But to live missionally means I'm growing in that. I understand that I have been called to engage in gospel ministry, and a big part of that is shining the gospel light wherever I go. And it's a dark world, and that's not going to be easy, but that's the call that I believe God has placed on every believer's life. We're also called to persevere in our gospel ministry role. A lot of people that I've known over the years that have started strong in serving the Lord, following after him, at some point give up. Maybe you've known people. Maybe you kind of feel like that in your own life right now. It got hard. It got tough. It got easier just to kind of go the way of the world than to, to stay focused on, on, on being a light for Christ, to have that gospel ministry in your own life. I want to encourage all of us to persevere. Don't lose heart. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, it will be difficult. Yes, there will be challenges every single day. But I want you to, to hold me accountable to persevere, and I'll hold you accountable to persevere. And we'll continue in this thing called gospel ministry, spreading the light of the gospel wherever the Lord places us. So that's Paul's ministry. Let's look now at Paul's message, Roman numeral two, beginning in verse five. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul's message was, was really two things, the gospel and the testimony. The gospel, the gospel message and his own personal testimony. And we'll look at both of those. Verse five, we see, what, first of all, what Paul does not proclaim. What Paul does not proclaim. When he says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. He didn't proclaim himself. Now, this is a tendency <laughs> that we all have is to proclaim ourselves a little bit. And you might think, well, no, I don't do that. But think about this scenario for a moment. Somebody comes up to you after church this morning and they start telling you about something that they had went through this past week. Maybe it's something that they had to fix at their house or uh, they were on this trip and they just found this or whatever. And they're just, they're telling you this story. So many times when I'm listening to that story, and if you never have this problem, then you can just ignore this part. But I'm thinking about an experience of my own that I can connect or relate to their experience. And I've even had the opportunity to, to be sharing my own story with somebody, and I almost felt like somebody was trying to up me with their story. You ever had that happen? <laughs> we have a tendency to want... Now, sometimes it's okay to share your experiences. Sometimes that can be encouraging to them. They're not the only ones. But, but let's be careful, because we have this tendency to, to, to put self out there probably a little more than, than we should. Now, think about social media. And I'm not condemning social media. I know probably a lot of you are involved with using social media. But that whole platform has almost been built around proclaiming ourselves, hasn't it? Talking about what we've done, where we've been, what we've eaten, uh, what we want to do, what our greatest dreams are and what our greatest failures are. Well, we don't put many failures on there. But you know what I mean. We do that. In fact, in that, so, that arena of social media, there has been this whole new category created called influencers. You know what I'm talking about? 
Influencers are people that got really good at proclaiming themselves, talking about what they like, where they go, what they eat. They got so good that they got millions of followers and now companies are paying them money to promote their product. Again, it's all this proclaiming self mentality and it's rampant all through our culture. It doesn't take much to, look, much to, to see it all around us. And so the, the reminder for me and hopefully the reminder for you is we have to be careful because we all have this tendency to proclaim ourselves a whole lot more than what God intends for us to proclaim. But what does Paul proclaim? Four words he says here. And if you're highlighting, I would highlight these. I think it's the, the four most important words in our passage this morning. What does Paul proclaim? Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ as Lord. And let me be clear, the only answer to the challenge of a veil veil-covered heart and blinded minds is Jesus Christ as Lord, right? That's the only answer. Go back to chapter three because Paul actually deals with this issue a little bit at the end of chapter three, beginning in verse 14. He said, but their minds were hardened. Here it's hardened, but uh, blind way we get in chapter four. But their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Only through Christ is it taken away. Continue on in verse 15. So to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The veil is removed. You see that phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord, was shorthand for the gospel message. And why did, why did Paul proclaim Christ as Lord. Here's why. Because believing and confessing that Jesus is Lord is indispensable to salvation. Believing and confessing that Jesus is Lord is indispensable to salvation. Romans chapter 10, Paul makes it very clear in verses 9 through 10. He says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one, is, one confesses and is saved. So the ultimate question comes down to, do you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord? Not that you do you believe in Jesus, because a lot of people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. So do you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord? And that word Lord implies complete ownership of Complete servanthood, slavery to, submission to. That's what lordship means. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, do you believe Jesus Christ as your Lord? You see, Paul was battling with these Judaizers that were trying to, to, to distort the gospel. As he says in chapter 11, to, to preach another gospel, another Jesus because Paul understood that at the heart of the gospel was this truth that no matter how hard we try to keep the law, no matter how hard we try to keep all the rules, no matter how hard we try to keep all the regulations and all the things that, quote, make for a good person, no matter how hard we do that, we can never do that. And Paul would say that the reason the law was even there is so that it would shine a light into our hearts to show us that we are sinners and that there's no way that we can get to God on our own, no matter how good we think we are, no matter how hard we try. 
But the beauty of the gospel, when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, is that God, and this is where they, were, they struggled, that God sent his son Jesus into this world, lived a perfect sinless life, went to the cross in our place, died as a sacrifice, took on the payment for our sin, took on God's wrath and judgment that we so deserved so that for those that repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in what Christ did in Christ alone will be saved. It's repent and believe. And while we're believing, let's confess Jesus Christ as Lord. If you're here this morning and maybe for the first time that's starting to make a little bit of sense, maybe the veil is starting to come off. Maybe the blinders are starting to be removed. And here's what my encouragement would be to you this morning, that you run to Jesus just as fast as you can. If you want to talk with someone after the service is over about what it means to follow Christ with your life, I'll be here afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. There's lots of other people that would love to talk with you. At the end, during our response song, there'll be a, a text number up on the screen that you can begin a conversation as well that way. I would encourage you, if the blinders, if the veil is starting to be removed, don't hesitate. Run toward Christ. For those of you that are in Christ, I would challenge you, just as I think Paul is challenging us here, that he, with his life, he proclaimed Christ. He proclaimed Christ as Lord. What is your life proclaiming? What is my life proclaiming? Is my life proclaiming Christ? Is, are the people that are around me the most, do they hear me talk about Jesus? Do they hear, would they know that yes, based on what comes out of Mark's mouth and how he lives his life, it's a life that's proclaiming Christ or is it proclaiming a whole lot more of me? And ask yourself that same question as well. Let her be the testimony of Paul's message. Verse six, Paul gets a little personal here, I believe, when he says that the light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light. I think he's referring back to his Damascus Road experience when there was this blinding external light that put him on the ground. And that external light now had become internalized. The light of the gospel, and the glory and the knowledge of Jesus Christ had shined into his dark heart and changed him forever. Acts 9 records Paul's Damascus Road experience, his conversion experience. But here's a, here's a little homework I would like to give you. In Acts chapter 26, Paul shares this conversion experience as a testimony. He has been imprisoned and he has uh, appealed to, to Caesar. And so right before he gets shipped off to Rome, he has an opportunity to meet in front of King Agrippa. And Agrippa basically just says, okay, Paul, tell me whatever you want to tell me. Make your statement. Let me hear what's going on here. And Paul, in chapter 26, starts with talking about his life before Christ. He talks about how he met Christ on that Damascus road. And then he talks about what his life is like now. It's a perfect blueprint or outline of what a conversion testimony should look like. And every one of us who are in Christ today, we have one of those testimonies, right? We have what our life was like before Christ, what it's like when we met Christ, what happened, and what's our life like after Christ. And I hope and pray that you feel comfortable sharing that conversion testimony with others. Just like Paul did before King Agrippa. He didn't back down at all. He had the opportunity to share what Christ had done in his life. So let's make this practical now and look at our message because here's Paul's message, what's our message? And this might be the key point of the entire message this morning. We are called to shine the light of the gospel into a dark world. 
We are called to shine the light of the gospel into a dark world. Paul was committed to shining that light no matter what it cost him. I just, I had this picture in my mind this week of, of Paul getting out of jail for like the umpteenth time and somebody coming over, one of his uh, Christian friends and said, hey, Paul, you know, if you tone that message down just a little bit, you know, if you dialed it back just a notch or two, you know, you might not get beat up as much and you might not spend as much time in jail and you might be able to minister maybe a little bit more. What do you think Paul's gonna say to that? No way. I'm not dialing anything back. I'm not toning anything down. I'm going to continue to preach Christ crucified, Jesus Christ as Lord. And yes, ministry's hard. Ministry's difficult. It's, it's, it's a challenge. And even some of you might be saying, well, I don't even know if I'm, I'm equipped to engage in gospel ministry. I don't know if I would know where to start if I had the opportunity. What would happen if on the way out today or sometime later this afternoon, someone comes up to you and says, hey, Mark, I know you follow Christ. Can you tell me how I can also follow Christ? Would you be prepared for that question today? Would you be prepared? This week on Beyond the Notes, I'm gonna spend a little bit of time talking, actually the whole time on Beyond the Notes, on how we can be prepared for gospel ministry. It's being able to communicate the gospel message, but it's also being able to communicate what God has done in our lives, our own conversion testimony. The last thing I want to look at is the fruit of the gospel is transformed lives. The fruit of the gospel is transformed lives. In fact, the culminating effect of Paul's ministry and message is transformation. Look back at the last verse of chapter three. It's really the bridge between this section. And Paul says this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The fruit of the gospel message, the fruit of the gospel ministry is transformed lives. And here's, the, here's what's so cool about this, because for those of us engaging in gospel ministry, our lives are being transformed. God's, God's using this as we continue to, to grow and learn that we are being constantly transformed into a greater likeness of Jesus Christ. But also, as we engage in gospel ministry, as we, as we share the, the gospel light, God, has a, God uses that ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation in other people's lives. As they, the veil's removed, the blinders are taken away, and they hear the truth of the gospel, and they respond by repenting of their sin and putting their faith and trust in Christ alone. <laughs> 